You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center with our next episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. We have again Dr. Carrie Bedient from. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you, Susan. <laughs> That's all right, from Fertility Center of Las Vegas. And Dr. Abby Evelyn from Nashville Fertility Center. Hey, everybody. And we have two wonderful guests with us today. We have Dr. Tony Probst, one of my colleagues at Texas Fertility Center. Hey, Tony. Hi, everyone. Thanks for inviting me. And we have one of his patients, Chastity Bingley, who's going to tell us a little bit about her story today, too. Hey, Chastity. Hi, everybody. So happy to be here. Good stuff. We are so happy. And it is always good to have lots of people together. And whenever we have people together, we got to talk about food. <laughs> always. It's the best thing ever. Yes, great subject. What have you guys been uh, cooking recently? I cooked kale soup today. Kale soup? Oh, and it was so good. That sounds really healthy. I don't know if I can handle it. What sort of what sort of protein did you have in that kale soup? I had turkey sausage. Oh, nice. Yeah. Actually good. With some carrots, light seasoning. Okay. That sounds I'm really impressed by that. I would have no idea how to cook kale. How do you cook <laughs> kale, Cassidy? It's good. I, I use my Instapot. Oh, so I've heard amazing things about that. Is that as good as everybody swears it is? It is the rave. Okay. And that sounds much healthier than the Nutella macaroons that I was making last week or the week before. Like you you could actually subsist on on kale soup with turkey sausage because it actually has some redeeming nutritional value, whereas (laughs) the stuff that I've been baking has zero nutritional value. But the macaroons look so pretty on your Facebook page. He did. And they were gone within two days. (laughs) I can make divinity. That's the last year and a half. I've made like three or four batches of divinity because I could never get it to set up. And I just kept trying. And I was like, if I try enough and every time I would change something around and finally the heavens opened up and my divinity actually set up and it looked like it was supposed to, and it had the consistency. So I'm done. I don't think I'm going to make it again because I'll start it up. (laughs) Abby, as a, as a non-cooker, can you explain what divinity is to me? I've never it's heard of it. A lot of sugar. It's Cairo syrup, and it's sugar, basically. That's basically what it is with some egg whites that fluff it up. But it's And you put a little bit of vanilla in it, and it's real light and creamy. It's almost like eating a marshmallow if you have I was just going to say that. Oh. And Susan, your husband's been on a, a nutritional plan. I don't want to say diet because that's kind of a four-letter <laughs> D word, but um, yeah. he's been on a nutritional plan recently. So, so he went keto back in September, which for, for most households, it's an adjustment, but you have to also understand I have celiac. So we do gluten-free because of my celiac. And I also don't do well with eggs and potatoes. So we were gluten-free, egg-free, potato-free or chicken egg-free because I do use duck eggs and um, potato-free. So now we've added keto to the Hudson household, which sometimes makes things a little um, interesting, but um, 
anybody who who knows me knows that I'm always looking at recipes and trying to figure out what are I'm a I'm a true believer of not eating things that don't taste good. I I love food, and even though I have all these dietary requirements and everything like that, um, that I I really work to make sure everything does the best we can, and and we have all survived him going keto amazingly. Good. Have you ever had a goose egg? I have not had a goose egg. I've been a little nervous about trying goose eggs because apparently goose eggs are more allergenic. You had one for the first um, time this week. One of my uh, wife's co-workers gave her one. They have a couple of geese that lay eggs. And it was about four times the size of a chicken egg. And it had this humongous oak, uh, a yolk. And so uh, we we just uh, basically did a sunny side up and split it up around four people. So it's pretty interesting. It's pretty rich. I just have some issue with eating eggs. I, I don't know what it is. It's just, I don't know. I just don't like eggs. And, you know, maybe it has something to do with what I do for a living. It just doesn't seem right. <laughs> <laughs> Susan, promise us if you're ever going to eat a goose egg that you just either get an EpiPen ready or you just go plunk yourself right out in front of the emergency room door and have yourself breakfast. I think I'd more likely eat like an ostrich ostrich egg or something like that just for the adventure of it. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, definitely a questionable thing. You know, in the state of, you know, given COVID-19 and all that, you just never know where things are going to come from. So I'm not that much of an adventurous eater, I don't think. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Well, we have a new segment to our podcast today that we hope to repeat on all of our future podcasts. And it's our Ask the Doc segment. And um, so what you can do is you can go to our website, fertilitydocsuncensored.com. And there's a place that you can post anonymously questions. And we will answer your questions on our podcast. So our first question is from one of our listeners and they said hi big fan other than the obvious reason achieving pregnancy why is art so important to society thanks what do you guys think wow that's a challenging question i don't know where to go with that one i think for i don't know about society but for an individual patient particularly if somebody wants to have more than one child i think it's advantageous to do like ibf and and freeze embryos so that those embryos will be there, and genetically, they'll be um, the same age as the patient, even if the patient is several years older when the embryos are transferred. So I think for an individual patient, you could argue that that's a good reason to do IVF or ART. So I would say I think it's more, when you look at the stability of a society, the family unit is a large part of that. And having having a family unit means you're, you're, you are without a doubt thinking about people other than yourself. And so that is, that is always a stabilizing influence as we have seen with recent events here in the country. Um, and it's something where you are ensuring genetic diversity by having more people who are able to conceive. You're stabilizing people. And then the other thing to consider is that for different generations, um, both financial and life structures are very different. And so one of the things when you look at whatever random internet site, there's always some, whether it's BuzzFeed or HuffPost or whatever, um, you always see articles about, you know, this is how 
millennials right now are ruining the world. And then you see the clapbacks from the millennials of, well, the reason we're ruining the world is because there's no financial stability. We've already lived through one recession, working on a second. Um, We've already lived through September 11th. And so the things that our parents were able to have with a stable job and a house and a a spouse or a meaningful significant other who's long-term they don't necessarily have. And so by default, that pushes them into later years with childbearing. And you don't really want to destabilize an entire society by having a bunch of childless people who would otherwise really love to have children. You know, childless by choice is totally fine. But when your heart's desire is to have kids and you can't have that and you can't have it because of external influences finances and job situation and all those types of things, um, it's it's very, very destabilizing, very disheartening. So I think there's there's a lot of other things speaking to the need for ART besides just the obvious of one individual wants to get pregnant. I would definitely agree. Um, as a retired soldier, my career was kind of like one of those things that I wanted to focus on, but I also wanted to be a mom. And had I not known about my situation and had to freeze my ex, that's something I definitely would have done until I got to a position to where me and my both, me and my spouse, both my husband, we were both military, dual military. And so we were in the military during the 9-11 stage. And so we were basically rotating on and off deployments. And so we definitely wanted to start a family, but not so quickly because we hadn't had an opportunity to kind of live with each other or get an opportunity to kind of know each other and enjoy life, but definitely wanted kids. And so I think that if you have an opportunity to freeze your eggs to where your your career is where you want it to be, you're financially stable, you're just basically stable all together is, is great. That's awesome, Chastity. Kind of along that line, so we asked Dr. Probst and Chastity and her husband um, today to come and talk to us a little bit about fertility care in military families and what happens when you're in the military and need fertility care? How is it potentially different? And I know, Chastity, you've kind of had some experience on, on both sides, the civilian and the military fence. Um, so if y'all could kind of share with us your perspectives on that. So when we begin our um, fertility process through the military, basically just even going through the process of getting pregnant and finding out that we were infertile, infertile, we're infertile. Um, The military process is very slow. Um, Great process, but slow altogether. There are a lot of doctor's appointments prior to it. Um, There's a long waiting list. Um, I think we spent the first two years just trying to identify that my tubes were blocked. Um, Both tubes were blocked. And then we spent the next three years in Germany, right? We spent the next three years in Germany going through um, IUI um, process and then in vitro cycles, which kind of were a waste of time because my tubes were blocked. They were completely blocked. And we were able to get pregnant in one, but it was a catastrophe. Yes, uh, because uh, the doctors won't, were not able to tell us that because her tools were blocked when she became pregnant. The uh, I don't know how to say it, but whatever was in her system because the tools were blocked was actually the reason why she couldn't carry on the pregnancy. 
I was so with. it was destroying the embryo mm-hmm. at that at that time until we got here and we went to San Antonio and the doctor actually told us what was the reason and explained to us we're going to try to open up the tubes and if I cannot open them I'm just going to take them out completely okay. yeah and that was a, a shock yeah that was that was a so. very dramatic and drastic event um that took place and it took a while um, to get over that part, but the the entire process within the military, um, you also have to include PCS moves. So when I started the conversation, you say, "Oh, the first two years." Well, we were in Korea, um, so then you have a language barrier and different medical procedures. And you're talking to we were talking to a, our doctor was off the installation, so we had a Korean doctor. So now we have a language barrier. Um, our, our medical records were actually in Hangul, so we could we actually had to have friends that were translating it for us. Um, and then we PCS to Germany again, another language barrier. We what does PCS mean? I'm not a military person, so I don't know. I'm so sorry. So we moved we moved from location to location. So PCS is permanent change of station, okay. and it's where your military service will move you from one duty station, and you're usually there. 18 months um, or longer. So you started in Korea and then went over to Germany. And then after that, came back to San Antonio? Well, we were actually, we were stationed here at Fort Hood. Okay. And one of the things that we did, because I was already pregnant, it kind of assisted along with the process of sending us to BAMC when I had a miscarriage, because now they have my entire medical history. Um, This is not covered through TRICARE, so this is a... (laughs) There's a lot of military, um, I say deployment money that went to get used. You had a question? I'm sorry. So, Jessica, how do, how do outside doctors play a role? Because that must be really scary to be speaking English in South Korea and not really be able to communicate well. I, I can't imagine how challenging that would be to try and communicate what's going on with you and what they're trying to do. So it is. It is very scary. Um, but I really wanted to... I don't know how to explain well, this. I wanted to be able to call my wife a mom and be able to celebrate Mother's Day with her. And I didn't care how much money it was going to cost. So, yeah. so <laughs> we went out to see a, like, a private physician in South Carolina. Yes. yes. None of these were referrals from our um, TRICARE. TRICARE process in overseas is even longer overseas than it is stateside. Um, you're talking about years. Years, your your rotation, your rotation of time of being at that location could actually be coming to an end before you even get an opportunity to see someone on that installation. When you're overseas, even though you have military doctors, you don't necessarily have those specialties on military installation because you're you're there for a mission, and it's not so necessarily catered to the spouse or the pre um the procreation of family because you're there for a mission you're there for a purpose and having children at that moment is is something that is not at that mission so those specialties are sometimes not on installation and you can get referred to um off the installation doctors but again uh, the process is is very long we just so happen to get very very lucky um so what came as a, a, a very negative time and a bad time, being pregnant, being excited, PCSing to Fort Hood and to go to your first OB appointment and not hear a heartbeat was devastating. And so 
we get back in the fight. We we go on a couple deployments and to get you know our mind together and to get back into the fight of being parents because at the end of the day, um, I knew I was born to be a mom. That was just the end of the day conversation for me. And I have a great husband who will support that until the end. So we would have probably went bankrupt and still been trying to. <laughs> You know, I think that's one thing that's key, just as a side note, when you said, I want to get back into the fight, you know, so many people get really discouraged and, you know, I can see you're, you're a fighter and you're, you know, you jumped right back in and a lot of people just get derailed. They just get emotionally drained and can't do it. So I I think that's great that you were able to do that. That probably made all the difference for you too. It did. It it, it really did. And, you know, when we started this, I said, you know, Dr. Pros is like, he's the greatest. He came at the best time in our life. Um, my first sergeant, um, which is one of my senior leaders, he's my mentor. He was actually one of Dr. Frost's patients, his wife, him and his wife. So it was like everything was going so wrong. And I was literally struggling where I had been so proactive in my career. I was willing beginning to struggle. And my mentor pulled me to the side and I said, you know, out of everything I've done in my career, I fast tracked. The only thing I kind of want to do is be a mom. And I'm, we're struggling with this right now. And so he he gave me his car, Dr. Post's car, and it took me a while to like call. And that's I a big step. What, and I know a lot of our patients, you know, it, it takes a long time from the time somebody actually suggests you do something to to picking up that phone. It's it's amazing how how much of the fertility journey is that first step, isn't it? It is. I mean, it it literally was nine months to the day that I called and made my first appointment to see Dr. Prost. Nine months to the day, um, I actually volunteered to go on another rotation because of the disappointment. And so I advocate on infertility and the struggles and, you know, just staying in the fight of the process of becoming a parent, becoming a mom, becoming a dad. And I talk, I, I talk all the time. There's no testimony. There's no time I won't give a testimony about. Yes, I've been there when we're trying not to see each other cry. I'm with the pillow turned and I'm crying because, you know, this is something that I really want to give to him. And he's driving to work in the morning and he's crying because it's something that he wants to give to me. And, you know, just staying in my faith. And like I said, nine months to the day, we called, we made our appointment and immediately um, we stood up, we were looking, I was like, oh, he's military. He's, <laughs> he's, he's military. This is great. He's going to understand our struggle. He's going to know about these rotations. We can throw out these military terms. He's going to grab them up. We're good. So that's pretty cool. You didn't even know he was military when you made the appointment. Well, that's great. It was, he, he was heaven sent, it sounds like. Yes. <laughs> it, and I mean, literally, it, it was like we prayed for him and he came. And it, it was it was perfect every since. It, it literally has been perfect. I just talked to your team earlier today. It's, it's bittersweet. And, you know, I was literally about to cry on the phone. I was like, because I'm really going to miss you guys. Tell us what you're, or lead us up to your surprise. Tell us, tell us what thing, how things happen, how they've evolved. So we've been together uh, since about 2015. So uh, we're not just talking about one baby. We're talking about multiple babies. And I'll let her tell that story. But um, if you could just tell us what, what it was like, um, I guess, overseas. I know a lot of our troops are stationed in other countries. And uh, as I've done on this previous podcast, explained that we have a system in the United States at some 
some locations where infertility care is available, but really nobody has any infertility care in Korea or Japan or Germany. So how do you seek out that care? How expensive is it? Um, how successful you know, is it uh, for you and your colleagues who are trying to get infertility care in other countries? So when we were overseas, we basically used the old Google. Um, we talked to a lot of resources, um, a lot of doctors on post. And basically, um, even though they couldn't refer us, they gave us the listing of who they would recommend or who they had recommended for. So, OK, so let me back up a little bit. For soldiers, it's a little bit different than, say, i.e., if I was married to an international civilian in Korea. So if I was an American soldier and I was married to a, a Korean, it would have been a lot easier for that person to receive the services that was so difficult for me to receive. And so they do have those connections. They do have those point of contact. It's just a little bit harder for those soldiers to get those resources. But don't let anyone tell you that they're not out there because they are out there. The facility in Korea, even though the language barrier was um, there, it was amazing. They brought in translators to make sure that I understood when I, I did do my egg harvest there. We did do two cycles of um, IUI and an in vitro cycle there. Uh, they just did not take. And we always had a, a translator there. They always tried to make sure that we had, even our physician, his English was broken, but he made sure that we were very comfortable. It is scary. But again, sometimes if this is something that you want, you kind of have to put yourself out there. Germany had some of the greatest uh, facilities um, the hospitals are a little bit scary when you when you're you, when you're accustomed to different things in the states. The food, the TVs, um, the nice hospital rooms. Um, I I freaked out really bad when I went to a hospital room in Germany. Um, it was terrible. <laughs> they're much smaller and they're not private, correct? No, they're not private at all. They're very small. Um, when I had my transfer, I almost like freaked out because I went, they put me under. And when I came to, I literally had a sheet over my head and everyone, it was like five of us in a row. And when I took the sheet down and I sit up and I look to my, my left and my right, I was like, oh my God, I'm dead. <laughs> and, you could just like imagine it was something out of a horror movie and I freaked out so bad and I started screaming and the lady came in and this German lady and she's like, no, 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 no. And she just laid me down and put the sheet back over my head and they finally rolled me into my room and I was telling her, I was like, oh my God, get my clothes and get me out of here. <laughs> but so what happened So once, I was, so once we PCS, once we left from Germany, I was pregnant. So when we got here, we did our first OB appointment, and that's when I found out no heartbeat, and so we miscarried. Um, after that, 
um, we kept, we took a break. We we literally had to take a break. And it, it pro- I promise you, um, if anyone is listening to this, it is okay to take breaks. Take several in between. Um, so we I took maybe a six month break. I just went on a couple of rotations, um, NTC field problems to kind of get my mind off of the miscarriage and get back into work just to get a focus. It was kind of like my grieving moment. Um, and then we came here because we had had, yes. Cassie, I have a question. We have patients all the time ask us, should we take breaks? How do we take breaks? And what I encourage the patients to do if they're wanting to take a break is to kind of visualize and plan what they want to achieve during that break. What, what would be your words of advice for how to make the most of that break that you need to take? So what I did when I took my break, we kind of had to get over the grieving moment because I literally, we saw the, we saw the embryo, we heard the heartbeat before we left Germany. So we had to grieve over the miscarriage. And then we talked. So I'm a huge planner. So we talked and I'm like, okay, I'm, ten, I'm going to volunteer. And literally we had just PCS. We didn't have any of our our household goods. We had no bags. We had no clothes. The only thing I had was my military gear. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to volunteer to go to the field. I'm going to volunteer to go on this rotation, which is like 45 days of training. And I said, when I come back, we're going to come back and we're going to reestablish where do we go from here? Do we continue to try? Because this is expensive. This is non-TRICARE money. This is all of our savings. And that includes the medication. And as we all know, the medication can sometimes be very expensive. I think the only thing that TRICARE paid for were like my labs. That was it. And so when we took the break, we literally, we sit down. I did my 45 days rotation. That means when I came back, I was kind of in a clear space of being a little bit over agreement, but I was in a a good mental space to kind of say, where do we go forward? And so we talked adoption, um, we talked fostering, and then we looked into fostering, which was a difficult process. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Adoption is, is difficult and fostering is difficult. We're literally two financially stable personnel that just want to love someone, to bring someone in. And, you know, this this process is drastic. And I was like, okay. I want I want something that's a part of us. That's you and me. I want to see us in one individual, the personalities. You know, that's really what I want to see. And that's where my heart was. And so we kind of took a break from talking about fostering and adopting. And we said, okay, we'll get a fur baby. So we got a fur baby for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> What's your fur baby's name? So um, Romeo and we got Chloe. So we had a Yorkie and a, a pit bull. Don't ask me why. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good combination. <laughs> but they were perfect together. And they, they so, they felt, they filled the void, but not necessarily. You know, we had, We've been so many places in our world, in our lives, visiting the world when we were in the military. 
and we bought this big house. When we got here, we were pregnant. We bought this 3,000 square foot home, all of these bedrooms. We were talking about all the kids. We're going to be the parents where everyone's kids come to visit. Not and she was. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> and now we have these fur babies. Nobody's fur babies are coming to our house. And so I said, okay, we're, we're at the nine-month stage. Let's, let's revisit. Let's revisit and start looking into where... And that's when, you know, it, it really became difficult because you have fertility specialists everywhere. And so I reached out to Bansy, long waiting list, long waiting list. Oh, my God. Long. That's an IVF clinic in uh, San Antonio, Texas, about 100 miles from Fort Hood. Yes. Um, very long waiting list. Very um, a lot of stipulations. You have to be a certain weight. You have to be yes. a certain height and age. And if you're anywhere near a high risk, um, and I was getting ready to be 35. And so all of those categories, I was a no, 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 and no. So I became at the bottom of the list. I had to lose about 40 pounds. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't see this happening, honey. So we're going to um, see something else. And literally, um, I just got into a dark space and I was ready to just like call the army quits um, I was like, you know, I have fought for my country. I have volunteered for all the hard spots. And here I am, a soldier that really just wants to start their family. And TRICARE is not assisting. I'm not even asking TRICARE to assist. I'm just asking you to provide me with a certified doctor that's going to be great to assist me with starting my family with this difficult. And so we went to Bamsi and we met with a major a very strict and direct major. She was like, listen, if your tubes are blocked, honey, and we can't um, open them up, we're going to just take them out. And I'm like, okay, I like her. She's straight into the point. Well, when she took my tubes out, I was um, on a lot of medication. And I think three days later, I was like, oh, just Googling. I don't have any tubes. No tubes mean no baby. Oh, my God. No baby. Hmm. All righty then, back on deployment I go. Who has a rotation that's coming up? And um, my first time was like, you're going to too many rotations. What's, what's going on? You're volunteering to be away from your husband way too much. Is something going on between the two? You guys like, no, we love each other. We are just trying to find, just trying to find some help to, to get a baby. And he was like, really? Me and... Um, his wife's name is um, Suzanne. She's like, we just went and saw, here, call this guy. He's great. And I was like, yeah, okay. I stuck it in my pocket and I walked out and I was like, so how about that rotation? And I went to Germany six That's months, six or seven, six or seven months. months. Um, actually, a week before my birthday and a week, be well, two weeks before our anniversary. And I was, I was back in Germany just trying to stay focused on work and not really think about having a baby and just trying to get mentally prepared and physically prepared. Um, and literally nine months to the day when I came back, I was actually, we got off the plane. He picked me up. We were in the car and I called um, Dr. Pro's office and made my doctor's appointment like on our way home. So at that point, when you met Dr. Probst, did you go straight into IVF because you were already like mentally prepa prepared for it? So we I mean obviously you have to have the testing first and the blood work and yada 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 because 
God knows none of us. We we went, we sit down, we had a great, a great first meeting. We went over all of our, um, my medical records, basically my history. I was like, yep, have no tubes. Um, (laughs) have had this many cycles of IVF. And he's like, um, well, let's talk about egg retrieval. And let's talk about it. The purpose of it was, it was, you're not too old. You're not too fat. Um, it, it wasn't nothing. It wasn't anything negative. It was all positive. It was when you're going to see someone and this is something that you want to do with all of your heart and someone begins to kind of tell you the negative stuff, you immediately shut them out. And when we met him, he comes in with this smile. He's already military and I'm already telling him about my full, my full schedule of things that I have going on because the army keeps rolling. It does not stop because you want to get pregnant. Um, he's like, Oh yeah, we can do this. So we're going to do, let's pull out this calendar. He gives me this binder full of stuff and we, he's writing stuff down and I'm leaning forward. And so when I'm leaning forward, I'm happy. I'm excited. I'm bouncing and I'm ready. And I'm just like, and we leave and I'm like, yep, I like him. We're going to be good. So Dr. Probst, how long did it take? Like, did you do anything different knowing that Chastity was military to expedite things because of her deployments and all the other stuff? Well, I, I don't know that I did anything different, but I, you know, being a retired uh, physician from the military, you know, I know some of the challenges that uh, military couples face in, in getting fertility care. Um, and I know the resources that the military has, uh, and uh, both on inside and outside. So I think I was able to, first of all, you know, give uh, Jessie and Herman hope because you know they had um, had a lot of disappointment at that point. They had several cycles that had not worked, and and people started to feel like it's never going to work. And and they remained excellent candidates. She was still relatively young at 35. She had a great you know good ovarian reserve, meaning that she was going to make a lot of eggs. And I felt very very confident that if they did IVF again, that they could have success. Um, and so that's the approach we took. I think within several months we had done another IVF cycle. And then it was just a matter of, and she had a great response. I think we had a total of seven embryos that we were able to um, uh, to use. And so at that point, it's just a matter of helping her plan her pregnancies from that group of embryos we obtained from that IVF cycle. Cassidy, one thing that I often tell my patients is that your state of mind in going into a cycle is so, so important. And it really sounds like when you met Tony, it was click, we're going to go positive, go, go, go. Did you feel more positive about that cycle as compared to the cycles you had previously done overseas? Absolutely. Like, totally. Um, I don't even know how I can really, I'm going to try to explain. So like he said, with the hope, when you have so much negativity and negativity and this is never going to happen, I don't care if it's this much hope or this much hope, just being able for someone to be able to give you that, it just gave me a glimpse of light at the end of the tunnel um, because we did one fresh, we did one fresh embryo and it didn't take. And most people will say, okay, I'm done. Don't even worry about it. No, he was like, I didn't, he didn't even give me the option. He was like, okay, so we did the fresh one that didn't take, let's set you up a date to do the frozen ones. Um, what works this, we're going to count these days. You're going to call me when this cycle starts. So there was never even a break to kind of just like, okay, it didn't work. 
um, so maybe, no, it literally was like not even a second. It was like, okay, so the fresh didn't work. So we're going to, you're going to come back and see me. We're going to test this. You're going to call me when your cycle starts and we're going to set up the next day to put the, the frozen ones in. And so I was like, okay, because if he has faith that the, the next ones are going to work, who am I to say no? Okay, you're the doctor. We're with you. You just tell me where I need to be and we'll be there. And we got Cooper. So Cooper's our first. And, oh. So Cooper was your first frozen transfer then, huh? Yes. And so, oh my God, I remember that day. It was pouring down, raining here in Texas. We were going through the April showers. And I just kept calling the nurse line. And I was like, I'm so sorry to keep calling you. And she's like, well, Dr. Pose is going to call you. And I was like, okay. And she, I guess she felt so bad for me. And she was like, but congratulations. And I began to scream through the phone. You stilled his thunder, huh? It was so amazing. I was just like, then you don't care anymore. All of the negative... All of the the miscarriage, the failed IVFs, the it's like you're pregnant, and it's like oh my god, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm, we're pregnant. Oh great! Tell us about that first ultrasound when you saw the heartbeat. Oh, that was great, and to hear how how hard and how loud strong and fast that heartbeat was going, that was <sighs> and I was like, that's this little boy gonna be a fighter. That gives you chills. You've been through this struggle. And oh, it, it oh, it's so like I'm getting choked up. I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> it gives you chills. It literally does. It, it freezes the hair stand up on your body, and nothing else in the world matters. None of your trials and tribulations. None of it matters. It's just that moment, and we can't even talk about the birth when we had when I had Cooper in my arms. Oh my God, that was like, I was like, we should call Dr. Prost like and FaceTime <laughs> him. He's like, I'm sure he's busy. <laughs> and it's because like, I know we've done articles with you. We, we talk to you when we come, but I really don't think that you understand like how important you are to us. Like I literally was on the phone crying with Amy earlier because I was like, this is so bittersweet. I'm going to have to just come and see you guys just, just periodically. <laughs> well, you're always welcome. We love seeing your children and seeing you guys. You've been very special patients. I've really enjoyed working with you and getting to know you. So I take it Cooper's not the only one? No. So we have Cooper and we announced that we was having Corbin on Cooper's first birthday. Yes. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Yeah, we announced, we announced, and Cooper turns four on next, Monday. Next Monday. Next Monday, he turns four. <laughs> so Cooper, Corbin, and... So we don't know what the next little girl is going to be. What? <laughs> yes, sir. We found out today about, probably about an hour ago. Oh, <laughs> My bad. staff hid that from me. Yay. <laughs> I know you were hoping for a girl. You were happy with anything. I know you were hoping for a girl this time. So I'm really pleased for you guys. Me too. I was like, Dr. Prost is the man. He put the girls in last. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> 
Now your little girl's going to have two big brothers to uh, protect her as she's grown up. Yes. Although I have a feeling if she's your daughter, she's not going to need it. No, she's going to boss them around. And that's what I kind of need. My boys are a handful. We love them. We, we, we are this, this, this whole journey in life for us has really made us um, appreciate and love our kids. Um, it's one thing to be a parent when it's easily given. And I tell anyone, you know, when you really have to work for something, you definitely appreciate it. People tell me all the time, like, you're the greatest mom. And I said, and that's all I wanted to ever be like my entire life is <laughs> like the greatest mom. I mean, I'm, I'm very extra with them. I go above and beyond. And I think it's literally because I never want to take it for granted because I know the struggles that we had to have them. And um, we would do it all over again. When I say literally, yes. we would go bankrupt. We would we would finance, refinance everything that we can and continue to work in order to, to go through this process. Because when you see, when you have them and you see them, um, it's great. We wanted Cooper to have siblings. We didn't want to just have one. We wanted to make sure that he had someone if something happened to us, especially because we're military, we're very, we deal with death all the time. And so we definitely wanted him to have siblings in order to go through, you know, the, the mourning process. If he lost us, we wanted him to have someone that knew what that true feeling was. And they both have my personality. So I'm excited to see what the girl is going to be like. Hopefully like Herman. <laughs> Laid back. <laughs> Cassidy, if you could go back to your younger self when you were in South Korea, when you're first starting out, what, what would you have told your younger self now? Keep going, girl. It's, it's, it's light at the tunnel. It, it literally is. Um, I think I would keep the same mind frame, even though the nights were long with the tears, um, the depression, um, literally, I mean, I don't, I, so you guys aren't military. I know Dr. Paul says, um, d- volunteering for deployments are not something that people normally would do. Um, and I did it a lot, um, just to kind of keep in shape, to keep the drive, um, to stay mission ready. And I always wanted, I wanted to finish out my career um, on a good note, we're both veterans, military retired veterans. And so we both still work, but we're financially stable. We have a great foundation for our boys. And so I would definitely tell my younger self, like, hey, keep your head up. There is, it's light. It's, it is definitely light at the end of this tunnel. Do not give up because it's well worth it. Chassie and Herman, that has been an amazing story. And we thank you both so much for coming and to Dr. Tony Probst for helping us kind of bring together and let our audience know what are men and women in the military face when not only are they facing the fears of our world, but facing the fears of infertility and and that there is light in the end of the tunnel. And so I, I thank all three of you for your service and your courage. Oh, thank you so much. Thank, thank, thank you. you so much for having us. And you promise you're going to bring your children to see me when the little girl's yes. born, right? <laughs> all right. I look forward to that visit. Yes, sir. Definitely.
So to our audience, thank you so much for listening and be sure to turn in next week for more. Also, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. You can also visit us at fertilitydocsuncensored.com to schedule an appointment with any of us or submit any specific questions you have about infertility. And all questions will be answered on the podcast anonymously for our Ask the Doc segment. So don't hold back. The more embarrassing, the better. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye, Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.